Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey friends, Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have on Dr. Linda Bluestein, who is also known as the Hypermobility MD. So that'll give you a clue as to what we're talking about. But I just loved my conversation with Dr. Bluestein. We talked, and we could have talked for another five or six hours. She is so insightful, intelligent, um, just has all this experience to share from her own background as a dancer and having hypermobility before she even knew what that term was. She actually pivoted in her career away from being an anesthesiologist to solely focusing on being a specialist of hypermobility syndromes. We speak about this and so much more. And I think the key giveaway before you even start to listen is you can take care of this. You can empower yourself. You can educate yourself, whether it's hypermobility syndrome or something else. We really speak about educate, educate, educate yourself so that you can move well for decades. So please enjoy my incredible conversation with Dr. Bluestein. Welcome, Dr. Bluestein. So happy to have you on here today after having heard a lot about you. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to chat with you. I'd like to launch right off into your own personal experience, how it has 
obviously informed and, and inspired you to be where you are today. And can you tell us a little bit about your background and then what you are doing currently with that? Sure. So I, I grew up as a ballet dancer and really wanted to be a professional dancer. That was my, that was my dream, like so many young ladies, of course, and, and men. And I ended up having a lot of uh, health problems as a, as a kid, and then started developing more and more issues, injuries, pain, um, you know, kind of mysterious things, but things that really kept me from dancing as much as I wanted. I had some very long periods of time that I couldn't dance. I had some surgeries and a lot of different things that were, that were coming up. So I knew, okay, I need a plan B. So my plan B was to go to medical school. So I applied to UC Irvine, which has an amazing dance program. Cause I thought, well, if I can get back to dance, I want to be at a school that has a really good dance program. And they also had a really good, you know, um, science program as well. So went to college, was able to get back to dancing, loved being at UC Irvine. It was amazing. Um, and then went, you know, went through medical school, residency, the whole thing, started having more and more health problems over the years. And it wasn't until 2012 that I was diagnosed with um, EDS. In fact, I just literally about a week ago came across my notes from the rheumatologist that diagnosed me. And it said, suspect classical EDS. And at that time in 2012, I don't think they were doing as much genetic testing at all as we are now. He mentioned genetic testing. I really didn't know much about EDS at that time. He mentioned genetic testing. I didn't pursue it. Um, so I was shocked to find that a week ago. I don't, I don't think that that's correct. I think, I think that I fit the hypermobile EDS you know, phenotype like a lot of other people. But, um, but anyway, yeah, it's been a very interesting journey. I am now, I, I actually, um, I, I just fell this morning and, and re-aggravated oh. my, my wrist. So I immediately, I have a brace for every single part of the body <laughs> um, <sighs> because, because I've had at different points in time, like I have a, I have a, I have a brace for this wrist cause I have CMC arthritis. So I've, I, you know, I'll injure something, that I generally speaking, get over it. Like, you know, this I've never had surgery on, thank God, knock on wood. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a process. I, I started saying to my doctors easily around 2005 ish, something is wrong with me. I don't heal properly. I get injured really easily. And then in 2009 is when I had a really big fall off a mountain bike. I was trying to mountain bike, which is a not a good thing to do if you have a connective tissue disorder. And I started getting a lot of very serious injuries and I had this knee injury and anyway, one thing led to another. And ultimately I wasn't um, able to practice in the operating room anymore. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do with myself? Because I had all this training and had gone through all of this. And I had a child that's going, going off to college. I'm going to be an empty nester soon. I knew myself, I'd go crazy if I was just sitting at home and not you know, doing something really, really active. So I started getting more and more into the world of, of EDS. And I wrote a paper in 2017 that was very popular and um, talked about pain management in hypermobility um, syndromes. And, you know, not a lot of people had written about that yet at that point in time. So that kind of led me to then opening a clinic because I had people contacting me and saying, loved your paper. Where can I come see you? And at first I had to say, I don't have a place. Um, but then in November of 2017, I opened my first practice, which was called Wisconsin Integrative Pain Specialist. But even at that time, I knew I wasn't going to be in Wisconsin forever. My husband was 
planning his retirement and we were going to be moving. So then in, when the pandemic happened, so I had a physical, you know, in-person practice, everything, the pandemic happened. We knew we were going to be moving anyway. So I closed my clinic, canceled my lease, closed my clinic. But then a month later I opened as hypermobility MD because I realized, wait a minute, uh, virtual sessions are something that we can do now. So for the first time I was able to do the first visit with people online Prior to that, prior to May of 2020, that was not something that we could do because there's so many laws that are so restrictive. And I understand, obviously, a physical exam is really important, but doing some things virtually as a complement to your other care, you know, can be really beneficial. So, so in May of 2020 is when I opened Hypermobility MD. Um, I'd been using that label kind of before that, but that's when I actually changed the name of my company to hypermobility MD. And, um, and then it's just been an evolution ever since of trying to figure out how to best serve as many people as possible who are, you know, really suffering and are the worst possible match for our current healthcare system. People with these conditions are so underserved. I mean, they, they, they're not the right fit for a five minute visit. You know, it's like, it's, it's really a huge problem. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. First, (laughs) for everybody who's a lot of people do know what EDS is. Can you just backtrack? No, no, no. That's I, I I love it. Cause when we're in medical, you know, kind of, uh, spheres, we don't think about it, but for anybody listening, can you explain what EDS is and how, um, maybe some of the symptoms that are, that, that's made this doctor suspect that you had it. Um, and, and then just briefly maybe delineate between that and some of the other types of hypermobility without going into this one, this one, but that how right. many different ones there are. Sure, sure. So hypermobility, um, I'll start with that, simply means greater than average range of motion of a joint or a group of joints. So it just means that you have one joint or more that go farther than would be expected. So a really um, easy example to understand for most people is hyperextended knees. It's kind of easier to see if someone has hyperextended knees, you can see them standing and you can see that their knee looks like it almost bends backwards. And unless you're using a goniometer, I thought I had one on my desk, unless you're using a goniometer, it's really hard to tell, but it's really for the knee and the elbow, it's more than 10 degrees of hyperextension that you have to have in order to be to be considered, you know, quote unquote abnormal. So that's what hypermobility is. Then we know that there are certain syndromes that are associated with hypermobility. So the the general like bigger basket I tend to think of is symptomatic hypermobility. And we like to really think of like you, exactly like you just said, symptoms and signs, and I can explain what the difference is in a minute, but things that that are likely to be attributable to that um, hypermobility. So, because you can have other things, you can have, you know, skin cancer, or, you know, you can have hypertension and other things that that have nothing to do with a connective tissue disorder. I mean, maybe years from now, we'll say they are related, but but right now there are lots of things that you could have that are not related. So um, you need to have symptoms that we think are attributable to the hypermobility. And then basically underneath that umbrella of symptomatic hypermobility, we have a group of things called hereditary disorders of connective tissue. And 
Um, so hereditary means that it's you know genetic, passed on from your parents to you, um, or it could be a, what we call a de novo mutation. So it is possible that you don't have a family history, but that you still have one of these conditions because you have a new mutation or a de novo mutation. But generally speaking, these things are inherited. So hereditary disorders of connective tissue are, um, there's Marfan syndrome, Louis Dietz, um, you know, all kinds of different things, but the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes are the most common type of hereditary disorder of connective tissue. So when I say EDS, I'm referring to the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. And in 2017, when I wrote that article right about the same time um, is when they had this massive overhaul by the International Consortium. And in May, uh, excuse me, in March of 2017 is when they introduced the new diagnostic criteria for for EDS for the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and um, there's there's 14 different types currently of Ehlers-Danlos syndromes the hypermobile type is by far the most common type unfortunately we do not yet know the genetic marker or markers for the hypermobile type of EDS um, there's a place in uh, South Carolina uh, Medical University of South Carolina the Norris Lab there they are uh, actually doing amazing research identifying at least a candidate gene. And I'm sure over time, we will be identifying more genes that explain hypermobile EDS, but right now we don't know the gene. Then the, then the next two types, the um, vascular and classical type are rare, but not like extremely rare. And then the rest of the types though are extremely, extremely rare. So we have this one type that's, you know, we're, there's a lot of disagreement about how common it is. And we don't have, because the terminology is so new, we don't really have good studies on the prevalence yet. But we know that we have this hypermobile type. Then we have these two other types. Then we have these other types that are really rare. If you don't meet the criteria for any of those types, if you don't have another different condition that explains your joint hypermobility, because there are lots of other conditions, okay, besides these, including ones, th including things that are not genetic. Um, one thing that we can, like Down syndrome, people who have Down syndrome are hypermobile, right? Um, so there's other conditions. So if you don't have another condition to explain your hypermobility, under the 2017 criteria, we diagnose you with hypermobility spectrum disorders, or spectrum disorder, depending on which one you have, I should say, for you as an individual person. The group together is called hypermobility spectrum disorders. So, sorry, that's a really super long answer to your question. No, I think it's great. And my mind is just going here because what it seems like is there are various connective tissue disorders or uh, differences, whatever we want to call them, that fall under this hypermobility umbrella. But to be diagnosed with one of the EDS um, syndromes, you have to also have other certain conditions, and I'm imagine. Can you name a couple of the things that tend to go along with connective tissue disorder that are common with EDS? Sure. So, so I can talk. Let, let's talk about the vascular type because that's a really important type for people to be aware of. Really, really important because that is um, a a life threatening type of EDS. And so, even though it's rare, it's good to know what are the signs and symptoms of that. So. I know a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I had this thing that this other person had who had vascular EDS. There was a young lady who died um, at age 14, I believe, who lived only an hour away from me. I never had seen her as a patient or anyone in her family, didn't even know about them. 
until I was asked to come to a fundraiser that they were having, you know, um, in her memory and everything. And um, a lot of the, I heard from the school counselor, because I spoke to the school counselor, I spoke to the coach, I spoke to a bunch of people. And they said a lot of the other kids were worried that they had the same condition that this girl had, because they knew, like, for example, that she bled easily. And they think, oh, I kind of bruise and bleed easily. Yes, that is one of the um, criteria, but there's a spectrum of that. There's bleeding easily and there's bleeding and it, and it doesn't stop. Like, right. you know, so it's, it's, there's, you have to really think about where you are on that spectrum. And the hard thing for you as a patient is you don't know what other people are like. So you, you might read something online and you think, oh my gosh, that's me. It may or may not be you. So keep that in mind. Um, some of the more specific things that happen, for example, with vascular EDS are um, like spontaneous pneumothorax. So that's a rare thing. This is an important thing to be aware of. You can have a spontaneous pneumothorax and not have vascular EDS, but it is something that we know is associated with vascular EDS. And that's when you get air between the lung and the chest wall. And that can be life-threatening as well, because that can that can compress the lung tissue. So that can cause a lot of problems. Um, but that, you know, they, we also see like um, some typical facial features, um, like a thin nose. Um, sometimes we don't see earlobes um, and uh, more prominent eyes. Um, so there's certain facial features that we sometimes see, but not always. And so there's certain very, very, for the, for the other types, it's kind of like chicken and egg, right? Because we know the genetic markers, we can identify those people much more easily. And then we can really come up with the clinical findings so that um, I can very quickly explain signs versus symptoms. Symptoms are things that, that we feel as patients that we describe to the doctor or the physical therapist or whoever it is that we're seeing. Um, but signs are things that other people can observe. So it's uh, maybe a bruising or uh, you know, swelling or color change, or it, it includes like your blood pressure being high. Signs are things that somebody else can can observe. Got it. Okay. So, um, and then some of the, I like I some of the EDS um, clients that I've worked with have had things like endometriosis or. Um, <laughs> My, you know, what are, how are these in related to the connective tissue disorder part of it? Right. So, so I'm glad you mentioned endometriosis because yeah. that is a really um, tricky one. Mm -hmm. The, the scientific literature does not at this time suggest that people with EDS have a higher prevalence of endometriosis. However, we also know that the science usually lags, you know, it takes time right. to develop a study, conduct the study, publish the study, you know, write up the paper, get it accepted by a journal. And then the journal usually doesn't publish it until a couple months, at least a couple months later, if not longer. So the, t the process is much more time consuming than I think most people realize. And there are a lot of people with endometriosis, and there are a lot of people who have the hypermobile EDS phenotype. So, and I'll explain in a second what a phenotype is, but it's really, really hard to correlate, correlate. Mm -hmm. common things. When things are more common, it's much harder to show a higher um, prevalence rate in, within one thing versus if you don't have that thing. Whereas if something is really rare, 
um, you don't necessarily need as much power for your study. You can you can study it with a smaller number of people. So something like endometriosis is really, really tricky. I was just in, interviewed for an endometriosis podcast the other day. So as soon as you started asking that question, I was I was um, smiling about, about that. Uh, this is Endo Life, I believe is the name of that podcast, if people are interested, because that was all about endometriosis and EDS. And the, the important thing here too is mast cell activation syndrome. So mast cell activation syndrome, for those who don't know what that is, um, abbreviated as MCAS, is when your mast with a T, a lot of people like, I don't pronounce that well, I think it's spelled M-A-S-S, but it's M-A-S-T. If your mast cells are basically, I'll, I'll say hyperactive and they trigger easily. And so what happens is you, if you have um, a mast cell disorder of the nose, you're going to have allergic rhinitis. You can have a mast cell disorder of the lungs and have asthma. But if you have mast cell activation syndrome, it means that multiple different systems are involved. So you may have eczema or flushing of the skin. Um, you may have GI symptoms, which again are tricky because they're not as specific and they're so common. But we do know that in people that have irritable bowel syndrome, um, there's lots of studies. In fact, it's really fascinating because most GI doctors are not very accepting or knowledgeable about mast cell activation syndrome. But if you look back in the literature, they've been talking about mast cells in irritable bowel for many, 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 many years. And that was one of my earlier diagnoses long before I you know, suspected that I had EDS. It wasn't until I, until I started having a lot of musculoskeletal problems. And I went to see the rheumatologist who said, oh my gosh, your joints are so loose. And I had been to so many doctors, um, circling back to your earlier question, I'd been to so many doctors who said, oh my gosh, you have a crazy amount of elbow hyperextension. I had, I had uh, major elbow surgery uh, due to an injury. And, um, they, and the orthopedic surgeon at Mayo, at where I trained at Mayo Clinic, said, oh my gosh, your elbow is you know, really, really hyperextended. And he said, all he said about it, was you are going to lose that hyperextension when I do this surgery. That's it. Like wow, wow. Now, but nothing. Now, why, like not the why. Ex exactly. Now, yeah. in fairness to him, you know, he probably didn't know. And although he's an orthopedic surgeon, so I feel like it should have been at least on the radar of you know this is something that can have some significance. Maybe not, but you know it would be nice to at least have been given like a little handout that yes. says these are the things to look for. And, and that kind of thing. So, because that was, I think around 20, 2005, um, and, and the, and the injury happened in a very unusual way. And it should have been suspicious for mm, that shouldn't have happened with that amount of force kind of right, thing. Right. Um, so, so anyway, but so Wait, I saw, going to the mass cells for a minute, just for yeah, again, sorry. people don't know, because if people, I'm always trying to decipher, uh, for like kind of translate for people, because the mass cells are involved in the immune system, correct? Right. So right. it's like a hyper, it's an overreaction of the immune system. So that's, right. you know, we all know that like we want our immune system to work, but when it goes into overdrive, that's an autoimmune disorder because then our body's kind of like fighting itself a little bit. So you're saying this mast cell, um, what is it, Emma? What is it Mast called? cell activation syndrome or um, the bigger umbrella is mast mm. cell activation disorders or mast cell disorders. Yeah. And, and is that something that people with EDS tend to, okay. They exactly. Tend to have. Yeah. And, and I'm so, and I'm sorry, I should t also explain why I brought that up at that time because endometriosis 
is an ah. inflammatory condition and mast cell activation syndrome is an inflammatory condition. So we know that um, with endometriosis, there are there is some fascinating data looking at the the and, you know the cells in the um, in the uterus and the you know when the cells are outside of the uterine um, tissue, and that they that those actually activate mast cells and can cause like a cascade that can really increase the pain. Because what happens with mast cells is they have mediators or uh, chemicals inside of them. And when they're activated really easily, they release those chemicals. So you actually may or may not have an autoimmune disorder. You can have mast cell activation syndrome and not have an autoimmune disorder because um, you can release those chemicals more easily. And then those chemicals cause lots and lots of different effects. Like I mentioned about the skin changes that they can cause diarrhea, they can cause wheezing, hives, um, you know, uh, all kinds of headaches, all kinds of different things in the body. But one of the things that they do is they release chemicals that actually increase pain. So mm. mast cell activation syndrome, or people who have a lot of mast cell activation are actually often sensitizing their peripheral nervous system and their central nervous system. And those happen by two different mechanisms. Um, but a lot of people don't know about this. So it's a, an important thing to talk about because what can happen is we get, we, our nervous system gets really sensitized and we, and so we can get more pain than, than we need to have, or we should have relative to what's going on in the tissues. It can also work in the reverse. The hard thing is the level of pain doesn't always correlate with what's going on in the tissues. That's the tricky thing. And we should care about both, right? We should care about how much pain someone is having, but we also really need to care about what's going on in the tissues. Because if someone's having a lot of pain, but doesn't have as much of a tissue problem, that's very different than if they're having a major, major tissue problem and you know, either a lot of pain or not that much pain. Either way, the nervous system's response is not correlating exactly. to the... Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and the nervous system yeah. response becomes part of the problem. Yeah. All right. So what to do? I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's obviously a lot of different people in this category, but for people that are listening who might be, you know, taking yoga with me or taking yoga somewhere else or running or, or just physically active, um, what... What are some of the recommendations you make? And obviously, people need to visit you for their individual. Because this is, I have, having worked with enough, I, there is a, there's a lot of crossover, and then there's a lot of individual right. um, differences. And But what, if you could kind of summarize, <laughs> like, what, what has helped you? What has helped some of your clients with being under this hypermobility syndrome umbrella? Um, because I think... You know, my my understanding from the reading um, of, that I've done that I guess the general public understands is when you have hypermobility, you're not getting the same feedback. You can go to the in-range. And in yoga, this, of course, can be damaging because you're not getting that um, wonderful kind of nervous system response of protection at the in-range. Right. Those people tend to get really, at least in the past, I've been teaching 27 years, they're, they're the ones that get kind of like, uh, you know, they get a lot of, they, they get a lot of props for it. You know, they're just like, people yep. are like glorifying it. Oh my gosh, yep. look at you. You can put your foot behind your head. And, and little did, uh, people in the world know that some of those people shouldn't be doing that because it's yes. further damaging them. So, 
Correct. Can you speak about it a little bit in terms of any kind of exercise? Like what are some do's and don'ts um, as, as, as a general rule? So, so you brought up an excellent point, which is uh, knowing where your body is in space. So people who have hypermobility, symptomatic hypermobility, very, very commonly have impaired proprioception. And that's knowing where your body is in space without looking. And also, I'm glad that you brought up that there are different um, phases or stages that people go through. And this is more something that I've observed for my own life and something that I've observed for my patients. And, and there was a paper written about this, I believe by Dr. Castori, and I believe it was around 2012, but I, I need to find the actual paper. But but he talked about like, like the stages of EDS. I don't remember if he used the same stages that I use or not, but the stages that I use are, I, I, I did a, a reel on this and it was very popular um, because it was the first time I like put on costumes to do a reel. But anyway, <laughs> there, there, there's the fun phase where, you know, you can do... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you're doing all the like, hey, show them the party trick where you like basically exactly. look like you're dislocating your arm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I tried to make I tried to make it more light, you mm -hmm. know. And, and so the first phase is the fun phase. Yeah, yes, you can do party tricks, you can do circus tricks. Um, you're you're like you're loving your hypermobile self, you know, you're like, this is amazing. And like you said, you're getting props for it. If you're a, a ballet dancer or any other kind of dancer you're getting all kinds of compliments for your gorgeous lines, right? So it's 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 fun, it's great. But then you start getting symptoms. And and in that earlier phase, you know, you can be doing damage and not be aware of it. You can be going into that end range and causing little micro trauma, but you're not at that stage that I talked about late earlier I was talking about like, you know, the sensitization of the nervous system, that comes much later. So these people they don't have pain. And I kind of wish they did. I know. I know. <laughs> you know. So so I'm so glad that you asked that question in that way, because it's so important. Like you said, it's highly individual. Everyone's path is different. Everyone's clinical picture is different. But there are some certain commonalities and these phases are very important. Excuse me one second. No, it's interesting you're saying like when you take a sip, because I remember long before I had even heard the like hypermobility syndrome, I'm talking like 20 some years ago, I would say to people, my teachers, I'd say, don't be afraid of the person who can barely bend over. Be afraid of the person who is flopping around doing all these things. The right. person who can barely touch their toes has got so much feedback, has got so much neural tension. We're going to work. We're going to, that's easy to work with. Right. Right. That person over in the corner who's flopping around and has no sense of it, right, is this is this is, that's what scares me, you know, as a teacher, and I'm a PT, but I just because again, I'd come over and say, "Hey, can you try and hold this?" And yet, like you said, no awareness, right? That you're like it, diving into your shoulder capsule and hanging there, and and I right. and, and no, yeah, so there we go. Now go back now that you've had your sip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about the fun phase yeah, and then the next phase is the mystery phase. So you start getting mysterious symptoms cropping up. Um, and so, you know, like for me, it was, I, I had the hypermobility and, and by the way, you don't have to be the most hypermobile person in the class. You, you can be, you know, somebody else can be more hypermobile. It's why you're hypermobile. 
That's mm -hmm. really important. So someone else might be more hypermobile than you, but they might not really have a, a syndrome or a problem. And maybe you do. So that's another important point. Okay. So in the mystery phase, you know, you have different things come up that are often more common. So for me, my mystery phase included irritable bowel, um, migraine headaches. Um, you know, I had lifelong allergies from from infancy. I mean, I had terrible asthma as, as an infant and um, I did have abdominal pain, you know, as a, even in childhood and skin sensitivities. And I mean, you know, a lot of um, eczema and stuff like that. But then, but then in the mystery phase, I started to get, you know, pain and injury with little provocation and, and things like that. So, so that's the, that's the next phase. And some of the things that people get are very specific and some of the things that people get are less specific. So some of the things that are more specific include exactly what you're talking about earlier, dislocations and subluxations. So there's a difference between joint instability and joint hypermobility. So joint hypermobility just refers to range of motion and joint instability means that the joint has difficulty staying in proper alignment. So if you have joint instability, which is probably the more important aspect, but the challenge is that's harder to quantify. Mm -hmm. It's easier, right? As a physical therapist, you're used to measuring people's joint range of motion. And that's not that, I mean, it's, you go through a lot of training and you have obviously have a bunch broader skill set than that, but that specific thing is not that hard to teach to like a PT assistant, right? Whereas joint instability, imagine teaching a PT assistant how to assess for joint instability. It's going to be a lot harder. So joint instability, you could have a full dislocation. Like you said, your shoulder, the head of your humerus completely comes out of socket. It may or may not require a lot of force to put it back. If it's been going in and out, in and out, it can go back with relatively little force, which is something that my colleagues, a lot of my physician colleagues do not understand, unfortunately, that it does not always require a lot of force. But you can also have a joint subluxation, which is basically like a partial dislocation. Yeah. Um, so then the next phase is the pain phase. So that's when you, they're the painful phase. That's when, that's when things start to, you know, really hurt. And, um, you know, you had the mysterious phase with the mysterious symptoms, but now, you know, you've been getting like, for example, your nervous system is go getting so much what we call nociceptive input. It's getting so much input from the tissues that, like you said, when they're going past that range of motion, um, your ligaments, your tendons, you know, those cells are, are saying, Hmm, I'm not really sure that I'm supposed to be doing this. And they, and they, as they start to develop pain that goes into the nervous system. And, and that's when you start to develop potentially chronic pain. And part of why I love coming on the podcast, like, like yours and doing different um, educational things is this is so, so important for people to be aware of so that they can take action sooner and try to avoid getting chronic pain. Cause once you get chronic pain, it's very difficult to treat. Um, then the next phase I call the optimization phase. That's when you, you know, that you have one of these conditions, you, are starting to gather your resources. You're working with a physical therapist. Maybe you are doing yoga. Yoga can be a fabulous tool when applied properly. Um, it's like with anything, right? If you you could do Pilates and that could be a fabulous tool, but it depends on the instructor. It depends on the timing. Um, the biggest thing is, does that instructor know their, their scope? And are they gonna refer you out for... Mm -hmm you know, whatever you might have. So if you, if you go in and you're dealing with something that's, that's beyond 
what they're able to deal with? Are they sending you to to somebody else or at least saying that's not something I can help you with? Um, So so the optimization phase may include a whole variety of things. I have a mnemonic that I that I use for, you know, kind of when I come up with a comprehensive care plan for people. And I've talked about this on a lot of different uh, podcasts, but it's uh, men's PMMS. And I'll just really quickly say what the letters are for. Uh, movement, education, nutrition, sleep, psychosocial, modalities, medications, supplements. So this is this is kind of how I come up with a comprehensive care plan. I'm kind of going through this in my head and putting this together. And then it's an iterative process. Every single time I see someone back, we come up with a new plan or we, we tweak the plan. And I would also love for people to think of these care plans as much more like apps on your phone, right? We are constantly getting notifications to update our apps. I love that. Yes. I am constantly reading studies, looking at what other people are doing, learning from from my patients. And I and I have to thank my patients because I learn from them. All of us, um, especially in this space of dealing with these types of conditions that are where there's not a lot of research, we learn from our patients. And so over time, things are things are different. I mean, I I have patients that I saw years ago that I'm like, oh man, I would, I would handle that. You know, I I would add this other thing now because now there's more data supporting something. So it's like the apps on your phone that are constantly getting updated. We are constantly getting new information. There's technology. There's all kinds of things that are constantly being invented by people to help with various different conditions. So it's also, I also want people to know that there is hope. I love that because I think that, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand that you can get this diagnosis and it can, first of all, be a relief because it explains the mysterious part. You know, it's like, right. what is going on? Okay. Oh, this, this is a thing. But then it can also be, it can not just tether you, but it could really um, impact your your life because it feels like something that you'll never escape or that's going to get worse. Or, And I think that it's, you know, empowering to know that there's there's a lot that you can do um, like you said, the optimization phase, and I love that. Can you give an example of what you do that in that <laughs> optimization phase without before you injured your wrist, like for your exercise and for your nutrition? Well, well, actually, this is a great example because um, so I had bone grafting surgery on my wrist a number of years ago, and that was the thing that that led to my departure from my um, career as an operating room anesthesiologist. I had an unstable shoulder. I had had this major elbow surgery. And then when the wrist went um, and I had CRPS, I developed post-op CRPS. So it was like, and I, and I, and I never got back my range of motion. I never got back as much strength as I had before the surgery, but I had a lot less pain than I had before the surgery from this cyst. I had a huge cyst inside of my wrist that basically like, was causing my wrist to, to break. So anyway, um, but, but so now what I have figured out is um, I didn't, I didn't get a major injury. I got a minor injury, but I'm going to put this on. I'm going to wear it for today and then I'll be fine tomorrow. Hmm. If, if I, if my wrist is hurting a lot by the end of the day, I sleep with this on and I have figured out how to be very proactive, but I try not to go to that anxious place. That's because your modality, I, right? You're just, it's one yeah. of my modalities. Exactly. Yeah. 
It's that's exactly right. So anxiety we know is super, super common with hypermobility. Yes. And um, it's really hard not to go to that anxious place. But like you said, that can also really um, make it hard to make judgment calls. And I will say that my personal pendulum has probably swung almost, it almost may be too far from, I used to think surgery was the answer for everything. Again, I spent my life in the operating room. So if somebody offered me a surgery for something, I always jumped on it. Like in my thirties, if someone offered me a surgery, I was like, yes, count me in, you know, (laughs) this is going to make me better. But after having a number of surgeries that didn't help, and after seeing a number of my patients who were coming back for, for redos of things, or they were coming back and it was like, wait, I don't think you really got better from your other surgery. I realized that there's a spectrum of surgeries and how successful they are. So a good example of, of a surgery that is very reliable, very successful is cataract surgery. Cataract surgery is low risk. Yes, there are potential complications. And of course, they can be very serious because you're operating on the eye. But almost always- 15-minute surgery. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Under yeah. under local anesthesia. Yeah. It's that that is- to me, the best example of when and like, life changing, like optimizing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. life changing. But then, if you have surgery on your back for back pain, the the uh, the results of that are not good. The outcomes are not good. And so that hasn't changed, by the way. My dad was an orthopedic surgeon, and I remember him oh, telling me, "Yeah, back in the day, that you know, I can't remember the percentage he used, but it's like this number of people." Basically, 60%, it won't change. So mm-hmm. 30% will get worse. And then like 10% will get better. I was like, well, those odds really suck. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, you're either not going to change or you're going to feel worse. Like, why would right. you then do this? And I, I, I you know, I'm, I just remember thinking, because he really, that was, that he would go to that as his last resort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so there's so many so many paths to, to go before there. Right. And I think an, an important thing for people to understand is that, so, so I'm married to a surgeon Oh, okay. Um, yeah. and, and I've, and of course I've spent my life with, with surgeons and a lot of our friends are surgeons. And so I, you know, I feel like I know the surgical mind, you know, more than a lot of people might. And, um, what you're saying about, about your dad sounds very similar to what, what I've experienced and what happens over the course of a person's career. Cause you were probably pretty young when your dad was in his early part of his career, right? We tend to be more aggressive in our early part of our career. So if you go and see a neurosurgeon who is young, generally speaking, not everybody, but generally speaking, they are likely to be more aggressive. And let's say a hundred people come to them with a particular problem. They may operate on 90 of them. I mean, I had a, I had a friend who was an ENT surgeon operated on me in a million years, I wish I could go. Oh, I wish I could go back and not have that surgery. He operated out on everyone who came to him. Mm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Right. I don't think he turned anyone away. And over time, you see the bad outcomes. You see the people who don't get better. You see the problems, and so you generally get more and more conservative because you don't want those things to happen. Exactly. And you get better at patient selection. So I think it's really, really important to take that into consideration when you are getting a surgical opinion. Yes. I love that. Now let's go back to your formula here a little bit, because I want you to talk about your exercise. Um, and again, I know you're updating it all the time, but cause I hear a lot about like 
you know, hypermobility syndrome should really focus on stability, which mm -hmm. totally, I think everybody agrees on that. But aside from that, what are some other things that you think are really important, at least for you to do? Right. So, so I can give you a great example of what I did yesterday. So I went to the gym yesterday with my husband and at a couple of different points, it's a very small gym. Mm -hmm. And at a couple of points of time, a couple of different guys came in and I suddenly realized everything I am doing, I am doing very slowly. And these guys are, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. Lots doing, of doing everything really fast. Yeah. So, um, so I thought that was really interesting. So I try to exactly what you said. I try to make sure that, that my joints are, I try to feel, use the mirrors some, but I try to feel is, is the joint in proper alignment before I add any kind of load. So I do a lot of like band, I work with bands, I work with weights. Um, I do a lot of different things. I use, you know, I'm using like a whole bunch of different crazy tools. I've had a lot of great physical therapists that I've worked with that have given me different, you know, really creative exercises to do. And so I will be using all of these different things, but I try to really, really get into that place of feeling, okay, is my shoulder in the proper space before I start to do anything with my rotator cuff, you know, and I love um, that. <laughs> Shout out to Kate, who I'm sure is listening to this, who is, uh, has EDS and that she was the one I was referring to. And mm. she said, I, she's the one that actually told me about this. And then I've, she's like, oh. I slow you down. So on my online platform, she's like, I slow you to 0.75 because that gives, even though you're going, I'm not speeding, but right. for me to give me the opportunity to really play and I thought, that is so brilliant. I didn't even know we had that option. <laughs> and I think that's the point. Yeah, like you're, you need to ha give, this, give the opportunity for, and do you find that weight bearing, you're getting a little bit more feedback than if you had the free weight just up here? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, exactly, exactly. So I'm very, very intentional with, mm -hmm. with what I'm doing. And yes, if I'm using like a foam roller, if, I, if I'm using something that's closed chain, so there's more, there's more points of contact yep. as compared to open chain. Yes. I find that to be, um, safer yeah, yeah. and, and okay. easier to, to do. That's so. great. That's wonderful. Well, we could talk for a long time. In fact, we might have you back cause I'm sure anybody listening will have uh, lots of questions, but I think, um, if you were just to give advice to anybody who is not sure if they have this, um, mm -hmm. how, what, what is like, if they're feeling like, you know, I just, I'm kind of clumsy or I mm -hmm. have weird, like injuries happen or I bruise easily, or, you know, um, I don't feel when my arm's doing this weird thing. What are, what are some, um, suggestions you would have obviously work with you. <laughs> so, so, so yes. Yeah, so I do, I do coaching for people who are not in the States that I'm licensed in. I'm licensed to, I'm licensed to practice medicine in Colorado and Wisconsin. If you don't live in Colorado or Wisconsin, you know, again, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, it's like hard to yeah. know where that is, but, but from an insurance standpoint and from a regulation standpoint, we are, so they are changing the rules back. You know how I was saying like virtually you could, there were, you could do a lot of things before that you can't do again now. So um, if you, if you live in Colorado or Wisconsin, I can, I can work with you and I can prescribe medications and those kinds of things. Um, I do coaching for people that are, that are in other States, other countries and things like that. So it's not medical care, but it's coaching. I can provide specific recommendations for you. Um, 
some general things that I that I recommend are, uh, you know, I had to give up contact, not contact, contact slash collision sports. So I stopped doing, you know, downhill skiing. I stopped mountain biking, of course. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you you modify what you do and you and you need to consider that, you know, I could get a really serious injury from one of these things. And, you know, it's also how important are those things for you? If this is like your life and you're like, I, I would rather die than give up downhill skiing, then work with somebody like you to get super, super strong and, you know, make sure that you're really making an educated choice. You need to get muscle strength. You need to get lots and lots of sleep so you don't have a higher injury risk. You need to have really, really excellent nutrition. Those are kind of the three key things that I would focus on. Um, if, if you're somebody that's like more in the fun phase, you know, and a lot of athletes, they might be hypermobile. It, it benefits athletes and music, musicians as well. So we know that, you know, there are certain populations where this tends to be more common. And earlier I mentioned the EDS phenotype, and I do want to come back to that just so people oh, yeah, understand. Please do. Yeah. Just so people understand you can look like you have hypermobile EDS. You can have the clinical picture is when we say phenotype, what we really mean is like the clinical picture. So two people might look very similar. They might look like they have the same underlying genetics. You might suspect that they would have the same underlying genetics, but they have this picture for completely different reasons. And one of them could have this picture because of mast cell activation syndrome. Um, we're now thinking that mast cell activation syndrome, when you release those mediators like proteases that degrade connective tissue, that can cause you to be hypermobile. So, um, oh, so, so interesting. So in other words, you might not have this in your DNA and like, exactly. No, right. But there, and even though mast cell d is also that kind of, it, it's also found with um, hypermobility, but it could be not with hypermobility is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. It. Yeah. It's, it's very, there's yeah. a lot to untangle. So there's, there, that's why you need to work with yeah. a professional because, yeah. you, and that's, and, and people stay away from over Googling because you, um, yes. you know, if you Google everything, it can get overwhelming. And then all of a sudden, like you'll feel the things that you're reading about because you're, it's right. just, it really can be very right. persuasive. So it's much better to go and, and work on the objective stuff. And then on the you know, like the symptomatic things that you are feeling, but then that's where the signs also help because you need somebody um, to come in and see some, some of the impact, the objective impact. Right. I, um, boy, I had one more question and it was like hovering above me. Um, uh, it'll land well, in a minute. Yeah. I think, um, well, uh, that's hovering. Yeah. I, I yeah. can, I can yeah. come back to, you know, some of the big things for people to do. So the, so the collision sports is the first one, you know, um, are you doing any of those? And if so, are they things that you really, really want to continue? Or are they things that you're like, you know what, this isn't that meaningful for me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to either give this up or modify it in some capacity because, because, you know, people who have hypermobility may suffer more injury. The other, like, almost flip side to that is the overuse thing. So again, it's like with the, with the yoga or, you know, um, if you're, if you're taking, you have to be very careful with exercise classes. And I love that you have the ability to slow down your online um, videos and platform. That is absolutely amazing because that's exact. That is exactly the thing that people need. They need modifications. I'm looking at my exercise ball over here and I love Zumba. And for a while, 
well, I haven't done it recently, but I, I did get certified as a Zumba instructor and I love, love, love it. But for a while I would actually go to class and I would sit on an exercise ball and I would enjoy the music and I would move my arms, but I wouldn't weight bear because I was having so many problems with my feet and my knees. So, you know, modifications are very important and those overuse pictures can really, you know, crop up. So you just need to be very aware of that. I know what my question was. Um, so for people, and again, this is a very, like, not to overgeneralize, but to encapsulate why people are more likely to get, so can you talk a little bit about the collagen, um, the oh. differences for somebody who is in a hypermobility syndrome? So why is it that they are going to get more injured or that they can move beyond this in-range emotion? Sure. That's a very important question. Yes. Yeah. So people that have a connective tissue disorder, what that means is that you have a problem with your DNA, a problem with, if it's a hereditary connective tissue disorder, you have a problem with the way your collagen or the other parts of your connective tissue are made. So it may or may not be collagen. It might be, it might be another, or, uh, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It might be other components of what we call the extracellular matrix. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can cause your connective tissue to be weaker than normal. And also, and also it can be stretchier but instead of like stretch, 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 and then like, uh, then, then require a lot of load to break your connective tissue can stretch break. <laughs> it's right. like, like it's like old gum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? It's been sitting out for a while you stretch it and it falls. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, a, and an analogy that I, that I, that I use all the time is like, it's a sun, it's like a sunburn that you don't know at the time as my face is getting more and more in the sun yeah, from, yeah. from, I have to, I have to cover this window, by the way, I moved, I moved here just a couple of months ago and I'm like, I really need to cover that last window. The sun is going to be out of the way in a minute or two. Um, but anyway, so, so it's like, if you have, um, if you're sitting on the beach, you don't know that you're getting sunburned until hours later, you come back and you had a great time and all of a sudden your skin starts to hurt. And, and that's what it's like if you have a connective tissue problem is you can't necessarily tell while you're doing the activity that your weak connective tissue may be causing a problem, but an even better analogy is skin cancer. So the accumulative damage from the sun, and I thought about this because I've had multiple skin cancers removed and because of the accumulated damage to the, to the skin, then you get skin cancer. Well, the, in the exact same way, you get accumulated damage in the, you can get accumulated damage in the body that feeds into the nervous system and causes the nervous system sensitization. So I think those are kind of, that's a great analogy. Yeah. I think, I, that's, I, I think that's, that's yeah. And I, I know this is the hard thing to tell to people when they're young in the fun phase. And that could be like, yeah. Metaphor for anything, right? You just don't know yes. how it's going to add up in 30 years. And we, you know, it's this balance of like, I always find I'm, I'm really positive and I, I, I want to talk empowering. I don't mm -hmm. want to go into nociceptive words, you know, but it's like, but there is a reality that you should, you know, if you move in a really opt more optimal way, you're going to move that way for decades. And you, and, and I'm trying to help you with that. So I try not teach from like, don't do this. It's going to injure you. But, you know, within these ways, it is very, it's incumbent to know that information that skin, you know, just like skin and, cancer, you don't want that damage down the road. And, and I love how you flipped what I said into the positive, because that type of reframing is hugely important for us to do just 
everyone, especially living in this these crazy times that we're living in, um, it's very, very valuable to be able to flip things into the positive. You're exactly right. That is why I am working so much to reach young people, mm-hmm. young dancers, young athletes, and and explain to them that if you start working on your body in a way that is more joint friendly, you are going to be able to move longer. And that's the whole goal, right? I mean, we don't, who, who wants to be in a wheelchair? You know, who wants to be, I mean, obviously people have to use them and I, and, and I may get some nasty comments because I just said that, but you know, wheelchairs are hugely important and, and, and allow people to, to be able to do things. But if you can stay out of one, I mean, I had a patient who was 16 who who came to me and had, well, I've had multiple patients come to me in wheelchairs. And fortunately, I'm not trying to give myself that they did the hard work and they, but they got out of the wheelchair, you know, so it's, and it doesn't always work that way, of course, but um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do at a younger age. So that's the thing. There is hope. Is is the the key message. The key message is education and it's, um, recognizing just like everybody that your particular body is going to, you know, you need to serve it just like you have a, yep. We, you know, serve it, it, what it needs. And it's, you can't compare yourself to other people because everybody, you know, from the inside out is going to have different, we're not all my Michael Jordans, you know, <laughs> right, right. so we don't have that vertical leap. Okay. It's okay. We don't like be, be happy with what you have and work to, like you said, move well for decades. That is, that's my goal for sure. So, well, the, the, the Michael Jordan yeah. example is a great one. And I think of like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, you know, yeah. these are people who clearly have good connective tissue and also made a lot of really good choices. So and optimized it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, we have to optimize what we're given and they've definitely right. optimized that. I mean, Tom Brady's a great example of like, you know, he's in his, he's beyond in the years of what most people would uh, have, he's what, 10 years older than the average or the oldest other quarterback, but he's stayed in the game because he's, yeah, he was given a lot, but he's also optimized it. And we, so I think we just need to optimize what we have. Right. Well, tell us, uh, tell everybody where they can work with you, learn more about what you have to offer. So the best place is to start with my website, which is www.hypermobilitymd.com. And from there, you can get information about, you know, the different services. And um, I also have a podcast called Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. So you can get lots of free information there. And um, and I do have one-on-one sessions available for anybody. So I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time, Dr. Bluestein. This is really important information. It doesn't need to be scary. But again, like if we're empowered and educated, we can right. make um, educated choices. And to have somebody like you who... not only has the academic knowledge, but the personal knowledge, I think it's just, it's brilliant. So everyone make sure you check out Dr. Linda Bluestein. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And as always, everybody listening, you know, I am pulling for you. 